Behind every great artist, there's a great band who help take the music from the studio to the stage. In each episode, I talk with some of the most accomplished and sought-after musicians in the world, delving into the details of their backgrounds, their stories, and their journeys, doing away with the fiction, and getting into the facts. It's not about the hype. It's not about the product. It's about the players. Hope you enjoyed part one of this conversation. If you haven't heard it, definitely check it out. In this episode, we get straight in and talk more about Okium's unique solo career. So had you so at that point had you already sort of made the decision that you wanted to compose music you wanted to do like instrumental music or like had you thought about what you wanted to do in particular or did you just know you wanted to do something else You know I I probably still wanted to be a session a keyboardist that's probably what I actually wanted to do I just wanted to make my own album for the sake of making it I just knew I had this music but but what i mean is did you like this whole concept of this instrumental sort of classically orientated type of music was that something that had always been something that you wanted to do yes i mean i wanted to do that since university that was always right. in my mind to do um but the whole point of doing it was it, it, this was like my freedom mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think i said at this point i felt restricted with having to play you know these songs this type of style in time here and you know, the biggest freedom for me was not recording to a click. Right, right, like, right. I want to phrase it like this and I want to pause for two seconds or three seconds and just come back when I feel ready to come back. And I just phrase these melodies exactly how I want was, that's, I just needed to do that really. So you were, so, so essentially you were doing it because of something you wanted to express artistically. It wasn't like, okay, I need to move to this. You, you were still thinking, I'll still do some sessioning, but creatively, I still, I want to do this. Exactly. That is what, it was completely, the, the beautiful thing about it. It was uh, a creative outlet. Is it, exactly. There was nothing manufactured. There was no thought. There was no, I'm going to make this music so I can mm-hmm. do this. Or I'm going to make this music for this. Mm-hmm. Because seeing that side of the pop stuff as well, had, got to me a bit, you know, because I knew it was like, they're just trying to get on radio one. They're trying to get the radio one sound. They're mm-hmm. trying to get the top 10 so they can book more festivals. There was always a reason, a yeah. commercial reason. I was like, what if you just said, right, look, we've got all the budget in the world. We've got mm-hmm. all the talent in the world. Let's go and make the best music we can make. Mm-hmm. That is the only mission that was really driving me. So I was like, right, let's go and do it. Just go and make the music you want to make. Um, there, there was, there was no reason to do it. There was no afterthought. I just had to have that freedom to make the music. Yeah, but I think that's a beautiful thing, man. I think that in this kind of lockdown period <clears throat> that we're all experiencing, I think that um, a lot of people are sort of, um, you know, finding the need or finding the desire to be creative and to make music and do things. And I think that what I think is great about that is, you know, there doesn't always have to be a reason. That's the other thing. It's it's an artistic, creative expression. I think this whole sort of thing that which we now have to whereby, you know, if you want to go into the studio or on a laptop or whatever and make some music, it has to be like, oh, so you can get on SoundCloud. Oh, you're trying to do this with it. You're trying to 
everything doesn't have to be for something. Everything doesn't have to be for an artist or for a project or for whatever. I think that it's great to get back to just making music because you want to make music and because you enjoy making music and that to be the primary driving force. Okay. If something happens after that with it and you think, Oh, maybe it can do something, but great. But essentially it's almost like a therapy for yourself. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Instead of anything else or anything material. So, um, so you're writing this album. Um, how long did it take you? And when I say, um, were you writing it, were you sort of like old school composing, like pen and manuscript, or were you Sibelius, or were you doing it in Logic? Like, what were you doing? How were you making this album? Yeah, I was I was in Logic, mm-hmm. and it was just one of those periods of my life. I don't know, Yeah, partly because it was new. There's a new mm-hmm. experience, and there's new sounds I was creating. There's this excitement. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like any time I sit at the piano, I'm going to write a great song. And, you know, I'll, li- I'll just set a nice piano sound up, stick some reverb on there, and I'll play one chord or one note, and I'll be inspired. That'll be it. And I'll just write. And, you know, it's a 15-track album. And I had to, there's other, obviously other songs that didn't make the album. I was just, all this music just coming out every day. And, you know, I was just fully immersed where... I'd wake up in the middle of the night with a full song in my head. Wow. Wow. You know, and I'd be hit these are the violin lines. This is the writ, this is that. And and I'll go and actually try and learn what I was hearing in my head. And then mm-hmm. put that down. And then I'd wake up and I'd work on it. And yeah, I I just loved it because like I said, there was no time pressure. There was no musical pressure. Um, it was just even the sounds, I was like, right. I'm just going to try that synthesizer with with this cello and I'm going to put this cello through an amp and I'm going to add some chords. I'm not a mix engineer. I've never mixed music for anyone else. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. you know, I mixed all my own stuff to learn. Kind mm-hmm. of, I guess, like writing the book. It's like just, <laughs> you know, right. the music on a deeper level. Let me learn about mixing and let me use it creatively. Um, so it was that was it. It was kind of the the hard part was when the music was all composed and that side was finished, it was the tweaking, the endless yeah. tweaking. So, you know, I think I did 80 versions of one song. Wow. Wow. Before I, you know, I said, okay, I can release this now. Uh, but again, it's, it's such an interesting thing because the naivety was actually beautiful and the lack of experience actually made it a great process. So I never worked with a real violinist right right right. i never worked with a string section you know so i'm using all plugins and um the core keyboard the core chronos i thought had some amazing violin sounds mm-hmm. so i recorded the whole album using uh my laptop and keyboards mm-hmm. i was the only musician on the whole album not one thing was played live apart from what mm-hmm. i was doing mm-hmm. um and then the first day that I did a rehearsal with a violinist and a cellist, I was like, oh my God, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> I, I thought I'd already got to the top level by, with, I was like, nah, nobody would know that wasn't a real violin. Yeah, I was yeah, so yeah. proud of the, the sound. And then mm. the evolution, that's when it began. I was like, okay, we had to go re-record all the album with real strings. 
But it just goes to show you the importance of showing up. Do you know what I mean? And just showing up and, and doing it. Do you know what I mean? You'd kind of, you'd done this record. You'd made the record. You, you, you actually did it. You completed something and you were kind of moving on it rather than it just being an idea or something on the back of your mind or whatnot. So, um, and even just to teach yourself, what better way to learn how to make an album than to make an album, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Just get in and just do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, Okay. You went back, you recorded the whole album using live instrumentation now. Let's kind of skip past the refining whatever, Mm -hmm. which I think is obviously amazing. We could do a whole episode just talking about that. But you then have um, this this finished album. You called it um, Zero? Yep. Like Ground Zero, I guess, huh? (laughs) Yeah, but but it's spelled with an X. It's spelled X-I-R-O. That just came to me in one of these dreams for... I was, I don't know what it was, but I having these really vivid dreams in this period. Visualizations, man. Shit. Yeah. So when you, so when you have this record, like, what do you, what do you then decide you want to do with it? Like, how did you decide that you wanted to present it to the world? And were you scared? You know, were you nervous about doing that? Yes, I was really nervous. Um, uh, until I had, I don't know if it's a conversation with myself or with someone else. This was, this was one of those other sort of philosophies that opened my mind and made me feel comfortable with what I was doing was the fear I actually had about sharing my music mm-hmm. was judgment from other musicians. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, who actually listens to this music? 98.8% is non-musicians, it's just listeners. There's this mm-hmm. tiny percentage of your peers that you are, I was scared to show my music to because it, it's not showy off music. It's not, oh, look at this, look at that. It's just, it's just a good melody, <laughs> you, know, you know, and help and the sound. And it's, it's and obviously it's so different to what I was doing with Tiny Temper and what I was known for at that time. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was really nervous to put it out because of that judgment from my peers was the first thing. Mm-hmm. So once I got past that, I was like, let me just share it. Again, no real intention behind it. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to put it out. So I didn't do any sort of release um, no, and no promo. Uh, I made a website myself on Squarespace. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a photo shoot with a friend and I got mm-hmm. a friend who's a graphic designer. So he made the album cover for me. And yeah, put it on Bandcamp. So it was a full-on DIY job. And then I just shared it on Facebook and mm-hmm. basically just put, hey guys, I've done a piano album. Uh, have a listen if you like mm-hmm. it. Cool. You mind? It's, it's basically, that was the release. Um, partly because obviously I'm still nervous to share this music. So I don't want to give it the big old, hey, mm-hmm. this, I've made an incredible... <laughs> it's, it's just, let me just yeah, share yeah. the music. So, you know... There's no album launch. Um, So luckily from that, there was a singer who heard it. um, And she sent me a message saying, I listened to your album. I think it's amazing. I love it. I'm doing a residency um, at this place on King's Road. I'm doing one every week for four weeks. Do you want to come and do a warm-up slot for me? If you just choose one of these dates, you can have it. I'd love for you to come and perform. And that's when I was like, oh, I never imagined performing this live at this stage. Wow. So I just said, oh, okay, go for it. Put me in for April 7th. 
Mm-hmm. So obviously I've got no musicians. <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I literally had no real idea of what I was doing, but yeah, the opportunity came about and I guess that's my personality. So I was like, yeah, just, just put me in and I'll figure it out. And then I actually went back to Star Now because I've got directory of musicians. <laughs> you still fucking with Star Now. I think I put an ad on Star Now and I went through, scrolled through all the profiles of the violinists and the cellists and everyone that was there and go and talk to people. That's just amazing. Like you, I, at this point, you probably know like most of the musicians in fucking London, but you're like, yeah, yeah Star Now, what's me before? Star- <laughs> no, but this, the thing is, it's so crazy because I'm doing good things, but as an artist, it's like when I came back from Russia, I'm back to zero. Right, so right, right. I'm not paying them the gig fees that I would feel comfortable calling right. my ears about and saying, you yeah. know, so I remember I, I found this one guy who was the first violinist in a symphony orchestra in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable, virtuosic, unbelievable talent. Mm-hmm. And his number was on there. And so I called him up. And said, so, seeing what you do, I, I like it. Do you want to come do a gig with me? It's my first gig. Um, there's no money or maybe it's like 50 quid, something like that. Mm-hmm. And, but I was like, but tr- I was kind of just saying, but just trust me. I think we're onto a good thing here. And mm-hmm. when it does blow up, like you're in kind of, mm-hmm. was, that was the pitch basically. Right. And, and I thought, of course, you're going to say yes, this is actually, cause I've, cause I've worked with unsigned artists. Mm-hmm. Which, which haven't led to a whole lot, but I thought I feel confident saying that to someone because I believe it's going to pay off. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mm-hmm. ask him to do it if I didn't really believe it. So, and he very politely said, Look, I've just moved to London and so far I've done like three or four gigs all for free. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, um, I don't want to be known as a musician that does gigs for free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's all I've been offered while I've been in London. So, I'm going to say no to this, but you know, when it gets big and there's some money um, involved, please call me back. And I was like, what? <laughs> I can't believe it, but I had to respect it. I was like, and you know what I said to him? I said, you know what, bro? I probably would say the same thing if someone called me up and gave me that pitch, you know, respectfully, yeah. I'll leave it. Mm-hmm. The, the funny thing of that story is now he is my lead violinist and I've been working with him for the last two years wow. and we, we did reconnect. but. The, because he said no, I was then introduced to another violinist who's a guy that recorded on my album and is amazing. I unbelievably talented. So we go into this first gig. I've got this world-class violinist, this incredible cellist out of mm-hmm. nowhere. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, and I'm using samples. So basically using a backing track as we did, mm-hmm. you know, like in all the arena shows, so I'm using all that experience. So it sounds huge, even though it's three of us on stage. I'm, th- I'm feeling like this is special. Like, this is, is it, maybe it's because it's brand new to me, but it was feeling amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get to this gig, which is the um, warm-up slot. And it was just the best thing. Probably to this day, one of the best memories musically of my life. Because I remember looking out and there's, an eclectic mix of people. There's some of the, the mandem, you know, there's young people, older people, white, black. It's this amazing mix. And as I'm playing the music, I, I'm just feeling like I'm feeling music again. This is doing something yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. 
you know, we finish a short set and people come up to me afterwards and like one older guy said, listen, I'm not a crier, but something in that music made me cry. It, a tear just came down my eye. Wow. And wow. everyone is just saying how much they're loving this music. I'm like, mm-hmm. I was like, I, I felt it, but now other people are saying it back to me. I was like, this is something, something special is going on. That must've been really rewarding. Yeah, it, it was amazing. And that's when I learned, obviously I've got all these experiences that have helped me to do what I was doing on stage now, but I had to figure out who I was as, as an artist because just coming off tour with Tiny, one of the things that we always did was we took a shot, we take a shot of whiskey and we take a selfie with the, with the crowd. Mm-hmm. And I got two or three songs into this set and I tried to take a selfie with the crowd mm-hmm. and no one responded. <laughs> and I'm like, what's going on? Well, obviously like, the energy, people are in their feelings and emotions. <laughs> so, um, you know, to really learn how, how I can sort of interact on stage and, and make it, you know, a good experience for everyone. Yeah. But I, I think it's great. You know, I remember when I came and saw you, I think that the thing that really stood out and stands out to me is it's, it's something different. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's such a unique kind of lane. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because most people that kind of leave the session scene or decide to try something else, it's usually like developing an artist or making beats or, you know, doing tracks or, or whatever it might be or managing somebody or whatever. But it's, I can't think of anybody else that I've known. that's like, yeah, I'm going to make a um, classical album. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or a classically inspired instrumental yeah. album. That's not something yeah. you hear every day. So um, that's, I mean, and I'm just going to assume here, but with regards to instrumentation and mm-hmm. like, of your compositions had you did you have any experience or background with doing that type of um that type of show or putting on that type of performance no none at all um nah to be to be honest i never even i think i'd worked no i'd never worked with a with a, a string musician or any orchestral musicians yeah it was um that was just what i heard in my head and it honestly is from all of our a lot of the experience i had with you and all that on stage experience made me think, do it like this, do that like that, take that, add that, and it should just work. And yeah, it did. So you, it, so you kind of, so, so what you did essentially is, okay, you had this kind of, which I guess is what you should do when you're creating, making anything. You had this kind of experience as a piano player. You had this, you know, you had this kind of experience as a session guy or doing sort of like pop session stuff. And you, you know, you enjoyed composing music, instrumental music, and you kind of just fused it all together in your own kind of way that made sense for you. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's the whole part of the the realization is, yeah, I've got a unique set of influences and expertise. Mm -hmm. So let me Mm -hmm. try and combine all of that and, and do my thing. So talk to me about your shows from that point and when you start doing more shows and how you start doing more shows and what your shows entail. Well, the, what, after that sort of buzz of the first one, I was like, right, I love performing my music and that's mm-hmm. where I'm going now. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always do like to set some goals. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember watching this documentary on Ed Sheeran about how mm-hmm. he kind of got to where he got and how he was relentless doing gigs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I want to say he did 200 gigs in a year. 
Mm-hmm. He would just play in pubs. He would play anywhere. And he was just essentially doing the reps, figuring out who he is on stage and obviously building his fan base as well. And that really inspired me. So I'm like, right, let me try and get a hundred gigs in the diary. Um, and just to figure this out, let me just really refine this and, and make this as good as it can be. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, my whole thing was, I'm trying to get gigs where I can use musicians. Cause I think everybody needs to experience this. Right. Right. Because I was like, honestly, I didn't really experience music with orchestras till I started doing it when I was, you know, nearly 30 years old, I was like 28 years old. Mm, mm, I'd seen orchestras and stuff before, but you know, that buzz that I was getting, I wanted to share that. So, um, thankfully, you know, I found these musicians who just wanted to be part of what was going on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I say that is important because I know when you get into sessioning as a career, Mm-hmm. it's very hard to do projects that aren't paying you or paying you well because mm-hmm. it's your job, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas I found musicians that had other things going on, but they just wanted to, and especially a lot of these orchestral musicians, they don't do a lot of gigs. They do concerts and chamber music and orchestral shows, but they're not doing gig venues and, and some of the opportunities that were coming up with me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I found out a couple of songs that worked instantly they really got a great reaction and it's just like figuring out the set all that stuff i was learning with tiny the flow of the music how to end the show what you do in between you always want to start with a big song or familiar song you know there's all those things i'd learned from that time touring i was putting into my show mm-hmm. and um yeah, it just, it honestly just got a really good reaction. And I thought, you know, I can, con- that's one thing I can kind of control is how much music I make, mm-hmm. how much I get out there and perform it. And I'll just, you know, I don't live in London anymore. I live in the Midlands and I would right. drive literally a 200 mile round trip to play in someone's living room to go and play a sofa sound show in a living room. So how were you getting these shows? So at this stage, how were you getting shows? How were you booking shows? How were you booking musicians? Were you being paid? Was it low money, no money? How were you just even, how was it happening? Well, the first, the first thing to make this whole thing make sense is how I showed up. Similar to how I showed up with the tiny audition. Mm. If I did a gig in someone's living room, I would try and bring musicians. I would bring a big setup. I would bring a, I would, I would give it 100%. And doing that, honestly, that's what gets the callbacks. That's how you leave a big impression. That was my philosophy. I never showed up half or did it small. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been in someone's living room with five, with violins and a double bass. You know? <laughs> people, were people like contacting you through a website or did you have an agent or no, like? So um, Instagram was, was big. Mm-hmm. Instagram was big um, because uh, simply because I actually spent time on it. I thought this is a platform I like and I can see where the benefits can be. So I started to post a lot of, that, a lot of videos of me just playing and of the music. So there was some, yes, at this point, especially some small opportunities. Sofa Sounds was excellent. Um, if anyone doesn't know Sofa Sounds, they do gigs in spaces which could be living rooms offices 
pubs, they'll, anywhere that they can create a gig space, they will do it. And um, so I did a couple of those in, um, well, I've done over 20 in London now. And then all, this, all the companies that are putting on live music, mm-hmm. I did I contact. So I Love Live, mm-hmm. um, I got a gig with, with them. Um, I played in, I, I was playing gigs in Costa Coffee. Wow. You know? wow. You know, I would try and hype. I mean, they put my poster on the shop window <laughs> in Costa Coffee. Um, but like I said, I, I, I went and did it and I did it 100%. And to be honest, I did Costa Coffee in a place called Newark. Mm-hmm. And then off the back of that, I got booked to do the Newark Festival. Right, right. Okay. And it turns out the Newark Festival, the company that, um, does a lot of the builds of main stages for all the bigger festivals are based in Newark. And one of their kind of gifts to the town is they do the staging. So when I was told I'm doing main stage at Newark Festival, I'm thinking this is a local festival. It's going to be a bandstand. I get that. It's a full on main stage. I'm doing three screens, huge stage. I could have put a 50 piece orchestra on this stage and I went wow. and did it solo. But then that stemmed, you know, is this knock-on effect? And from there, they asked me to turn on the Christmas lights for Newark wow. <laughs> and perform at that. And that's performed for 5,000 people. So it's, right. that was kind of what was happening is everywhere I'd show up, I would give it everything and I'd talk to people afterwards. Um, one philosophy I've always had is I let people choose their own price for my album. Um, and a lot of times I do just, I think of it as more of a promo tour, a physical promo tour. So I want people to have it so they can, they've got a reminder of me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it, it was, it was those kind of, I think they're the basics, but I think a lot of people overlook them. I had flyers and I rarely see musicians now finishing gigs in smaller venues, giving out CDs and flyers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a really, really, really good point. I think that, um, I remember, um, I remember 50 Cent saying that at one point. I remember when Napster, which I'm going back now, but I remember when there was a big thing about Napster and the streaming and illegal streaming, illegal downloading. And I remember they asked 50 what he thought about it. And he was like, I don't care. He he was like, he was like, if somebody downloads my album for free, that's fine because they might like what I'm doing. And then they might come in pay for a show or they might, you know, they might then go and buy another album of mine or they might buy a t-shirt or whatever. He was just, he felt like it was important to just people just, be exposed to what he was doing. And he actually didn't care how it actually happened. And I think obviously that was a while ago, but fast forward into now where a lot of release music, it is really, it is really like a flyer, you know, for Mm -hmm. the artist, you know what I mean? Because even if an artist doesn't make a whole lot of money via recorded material, they, you know, they're making money via shows or endorsements or branding or things of that nature. And the whole sort of, business and income stream for artists is a lot wider than it used to be. Mm, I was saying that was, that was one of my realizations is the, the income streams are wider than I think we realize when we're fully into what we're doing. Like when I was playing for tiny or any yes. session, I think I maybe did one or two mm. other gigs around that. And that's ever, I was no, I wasn't thinking, okay, I'm playing for tiny, but I can also do this with my skill set. I can also do that and that and this and that. And when I stepped away, a massive realization for me, and I think this is huge for any session musician, what we don't realize is how other people outside of our industry see us. And what I mean by that is, for example, I then went into the wedding market 
So obviously mm-hmm. I play the piano and I can play very emotional piano, so it works there. But a big reason I would get a ton of bookings is because I used to play for a famous artist. Yeah, so right, it's, right. So that proof of, wow, he's played for Tiny Temper he's, and he's going to play at my wedding? Booking now. Loads of musicians have a similar thing that I really think we don't use. We don't see how much weight that carries in other industries. Everyone else, no one else in this industry really has that kind of experience. That's a big takeaway, man, because as I said, you spend a lot of time building a career, building a reputation, um, and it's important that you can you know trade off that and use that to your benefit because it's your work you know what i mean that's the other thing it's it's your work it's your legacy and it's 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 things that you've been a part of and you've helped sell a lot of records you know you might not get anything from those records you might get your gig fee you might not be a part of any other part of it than that so it's important to take what you've got and then see if you can use it in other ways that's fantastic so I came and saw you um, one time. You were playing in a church. I remember coming and seeing you. And I remember your show being really interesting. You had, um, there was a segment where you had everybody put on blindfolds. Um, yeah. There was another part where you had people playing. I think you did, um, you, which I thought was great. You did a cover of Game of Thrones theme. Um, yeah. Played that. I've, and anybody that watches Game of Thrones loves that theme. So, yeah. <laughs> But it yeah. was like, I thought that was a great way of kind of like showing people this is kind of what I'm about. So like in terms of your sh- how are your shows now and how are you, what are you putting together and you know how many musicians do you use and what type of things does a does a set of yours entail? Yeah, I think that, that kind of it's good to look back, but you know that one philosophy I've had from you know around that period especially was the live music experience is so important. If we get that right, that's why I'm trying to have all these sensory touch points, right? Let's take away the vision mm-hmm. and just use your ears and your imagination to hear the music. And like I said, people remember that. They remember mm-hmm. being blindfolded in a gig. And, you know, and obviously for me to, to pull that off, you know, I'm thinking, I'll tell you my, my sort of thought, thought process with a gig is very much from the audience perspective. So I literally think how many times in a show they're going to have to give a round of applause. Is it yeah. too much? Do I need to have less breaks? You know, mm-hmm. thinking like that. And then um, to actually blindfold an audience, especially in London, you know, mm-hmm. the, the things that people are worried about is, <laughs> is someone, someone going to steal their stuff? <laughs> <Obviously>, yeah. <laughs> it's all, so because I've, there has been a gig where I tried to blindfold an audience too early mm-hmm. and I didn't, hadn't built the rapport with them yet, you know, and mm-hmm. so a lot, maybe half and half. Half right. didn't, half didn't, which was very strange to me because you saw in the show you were at, I think everyone in the audience took the blindfold and put it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By that point, we built a good rapport with the chat in between. They're loving the show, loving the music, and they did it. So, yeah, my whole thing with the shows is is audience-focused. How are we going to mm-hmm. take the emotions so they feel this at this point? Um when do we need, and obviously I play a lot of new music and mm-hmm. a lot of music people wouldn't have heard. So I put mm-hmm. in that covers part, part because I want everyone to have something they can hold on to. They can get, ah, I know that tune. Mm-hmm. Know that. Even though I think they will love everything else. I think having a song they recognize and they can just mm-hmm. enjoy like that, I think always is going to lift the set. And are you, are you still doing things like that in your sets? Is it still a mixture of your album, your own original stuff and covers and things of that nature? Yeah, it's, um, 
it's funny because again, going back to like the confidence I have in my own music for a long time, I was like, ah, oh, maybe I should do two songs of mine, then some covers and maybe mm-hmm. one or two and then some covers. And then it's a, just a passing comment someone made after and, like, and they said, I like the covers, but you know, I like your music more. I don't think you need to do so many covers. Right, right, right. And I was like, yeah, do you know what? I'm using that as a crutch. I'm using that as a, oh, I'm not sure if they like mine. So let me just play Adele. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right, right. So I do still add like a short medley of covers. Because mm-hmm. uh, I just think it's good fun. It's, it's fun for everyone. Um, and it's a good breakup in the set. Um, but yeah, where I've sort of taken it from blindfolds, um, what I've been doing now is projection mapping. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, I always, I've always loved the thought of, you know, fusing technology with traditional orchestral instruments. I think this looks sick. This looks like there's violinists there, but there's like laser beams. (laughs) So the projection mapping, imagine you have a projector and it's just throwing all your, like a video screen, like a video wall, imagine. Uh But instead of having like just the images projected on a massive wall, I have it isolated on the piano. So the piano becomes a screen. Right, right, right. So I'd love to send you a video of what this looks like, but it's like the piano, it's like it lights up and comes alive. Like what Dave did at the Brits kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I was doing it first. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Because I'm Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've been doing that. So yeah. And um, it's just, it's just a really interesting visual because this is what I, I it's funny because it's the balance of wanting to add these things of blindfolds, projection mapping, but at the same time, we need to keep it pure in a way so they can really enjoy the music. We've got to make the music the focus, not sure. the, everything else. Sure, sure. Okay. So, um, and I wanted to talk to you, so much to talk about, but, um, and I remember at one point you were doing a, um, like a Dr. Dre night, like a, what was that? Please explain what that is and what that was. So this is another sort of, uh, angle of using the skill set. Mm-hmm. So in is actually funny enough in the gig that you came to was the first time in that medley, I played a bit of the Dr. Dre still Dre. That's right. I remember that. With the orchestra, <laughs> and everyone's like, ah, and they're loving it. And we put it on the internet and there's a promoter, there's a company that saw it. Mm-hmm. And they said, look, we do live orchestral renditions of hip hop albums. That is our thing. Mm-hmm. And we've seen the way you just did that, Dr. Dre. Do you want to come and just put on the show? I will promote it. Mm-hmm. We'll get the venues and sell the tickets. You put on the show. And I was like, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And the crazy, the crazy thing about this story is they had no idea about who I was or my background. They didn't know I've done hip hop shows. I worked with Tiny. Right. I know musicians. They just saw this one clip, and credit to them, they said, "You're the guy. Just you, you put it on." Wow. wow. So similar to how we work, obviously with backing tracks. You know, I made tracks, but you know, obviously I'm not getting any stems from Dr. Dre. So I had to recreate all the sounds. Mm-hmm. So my programming knowledge comes into effect here and adding these other elements to create this really dramatic big sound and then we had you know orchestral musicians we had a string quartet playing on top of it Mm -hmm. um, to make this orchestral rendition right up to an 18-piece orchestra was our biggest show wow wow so um 
Yeah. And obviously these shows, for me, it was important to do because it keeps the orchestra together. It keeps mm-hmm. us playing a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's interesting to just see what it's like to tour together. I think my whole goal is still to tour my stuff more, mm-hmm. but I want to do it with the right people. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we've done, I want to say about 80 shows of the Dr. Dre orchestral renditions, and that's all throughout the UK. Wow. Europe. Incredible. I did not yeah. know. <laughs> we've done, we did a tour in the US. I think we did 12 dates in the US on the Man. West Coast. And yeah, it, it's, it's just a, a good thing. What's the orchestra size there? Like how many people would you have? It's normally nine of us is uh-huh. the, so it's basically a band and a string quartet with a trombone. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. That's, oh, that's so dope. I just think that, um, I think that what's really exciting about that is also, it's like, you know, somebody says, you know, oh, they get, they want to do classical music. They want to write classical music or something of that nature. And people think, oh, what the fuck is he doing that for? What's with it? But yeah. not realizing that, that, you know, that music is a part of all music. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's mm-hmm. parts of Dre that's classical or orchestral. There's yeah. parts of hip hop or jazz or whatever. It's, it's all kind of fused together. And to actually kind of demonstrate that to people in that type of setting is fantastic. Um, I think that's so cool. I think um, thinking about backing tracks as a whole, you know, it's like people are so used to just running tracks at shows and having all the stuff that goes into music just running from track, but they forget. People always be like, oh, do we have to use track? Let's do it all live. And it's like, okay, cool. Let's just go out with an orchestra then. (laughs) (laughs) Funny thing is, is that, and people, of course, now people are like, oh, no, you can't do that. Oh, you don't do that. But people forget that that's what people used to do. Like before mm-hmm. you had backing tracks and before yep. you had playback and before you had sequences and samplers, if you wanted to hear how the Barry White album sounded properly, then you would go to the show and there would be an orchestra on the stage as well as a musician. <laughs> Back yeah. to the fucking Count Basie orchestra. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. you, you had all of that in music. And I think that outside of classical music that hasn't existed for a long time, but, um, you know, I think to see that in a commercial context is fantastic because those elements are still very much a part of the music everybody listens to. They just don't have that kind of visual live um, connection with it because it's not something they see, you know. Yeah. And, you know, the, the really interesting thing is, I mean, like you say, when people initially are talking about classical music, it's quite a turn off, especially mm-hmm. for young people. and. We don't really get it, but imagine at the Dre shows, mm-hmm. uh, we got say a thousand people, mm-hmm. and these are these are people who come to see a hip hop show, really. So they've got the right. there's an orchestra element, but they come to see a hip hop show. Mm-hmm. And in the first one, is it, and then it was just this moment. I'm like, right, the crowd is in it, and the the violinist I told you I called from Star Now, mm-hmm. who turned me down. He is now the violinist that works with me. I told you is one of the world class, and he does things you cannot even imagine can be done with a violin. Mm. So we just finished playing like "Forgot About Dre" or something like that, and I <laughs> and I say to the crowd, "Right, listen, guys, I need silence in the middle of a hip hop show. We're gonna have a violin solo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everyone, get your phone out." Mm-hmm. And he just goes in. He's playing this unbelievable solo violin. And everyone's just mesmerized. 
And it's like, there's a place for this. Like we've forgotten what can be done with these instruments and how this sounds and how this feels. And yeah. so now that's part of the show is, is a violin solo in the middle of the hip hop show. That's amazing. <laughs> why not educate people? Like why not yeah. let people know like, well, shit, you listening to all these violins all night. So <laughs> exactly. something else the violin can do just, just yeah. in case you did not know. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? So, yeah. That's fantastic. Oh man, that's, that's, that's really great, man. And do you have any plans? Obviously Dre's a good one because, you know, there was, he does have a very orchestral sound to a lot of his yeah. music and whatnot, but have you thought of doing any other type of fusions, do you know what I mean? Of that type, you know, like a fucking, I don't know, a Jay-Z night or a fucking Timberland night or, do you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Are you going to expand that concept further? You know, we, we thought about this a lot and um, there's a few that I want to do. I'll, I'd love to do like an EDM one as well, something really right. electronic. Um, but the, the funny thing is we just landed on a concept that for whatever reason mm-hmm. works better than any other concept. Just when people hear Dr. Dre and an orchestra, yeah, yeah. I don't, it just sparks something in people. And um, obviously from the promoter point of view, it's got to be commercial. Absolutely. And they haven't found anything else as commercial as that yet. Um, I think that, I think too, but I think that like Dre in particular, everybody knows that Dre has this big, huge sonic and even orchestral element to his music. And there's something about that that I can see why that connects, you know, but, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of others, you know, maybe, maybe it's something down the line. I don't know who, but. (laughs) but, uh, I'm I'm, I'm open to it. You know, we did a Daft Punk one. Dope. Yeah. It must've been crazy. It was, you know what the funny thing is, is it's only weird for us because the energy from the Dre show um, for just the way that it, it was that we did it by the end of the show, the crowd was in a frenzy. I mean, they were just, we finished with California love. <laughs> I mean, everyone's going wild. I'll take my shirt off. We're just going in <laughs> and everybody's like, we need one more song. One more. And it's just an amazing feeling. So Daft Punk was a great night, but it was so mellow. Right. right, right. Get lucky. And it's like, okay. <laughs> that's the end of the show so it felt really strange for us but yeah it's it's a good show it's a really good show so like all right so you've done all these different things you've transitioned from being a a business basketball player to being a russian fucking session musician <laughs> to being a london session musician to being a composer to being a maestro with an orchestra and all this shit like yeah. what is your kind of um ultimate kind of goal or kind of fantasy or vision with what you're doing with your music now? Like, what would you like to do with it? Where would you see it or like to see it in a few years time? The ultimate goal is to do my own music and get it to a level I can tour my own music. You know, I really believe in the music I'm making. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like the people that have been introduced to it absolutely love it. And I think that's why, you know, all these opportunities are coming up you know honestly some of the stuff i've done is surpassed even my expectations and some of the events i've been asked to perform at. i got asked to speak at oxford university wow. um you know i've been i played at wimbledon mm-hmm. played for the saudi arabian royal family um i was supposed to play for the sheikh of dubai two months ago i actually went out to dubai but it got cancelled because of coronavirus two days sure. before you know, I was in the Dubai Opera House. Wow. Wow. Uh, it's like the people have been exposed to it. It's 
given me these opportunities at the top of the industry that are just, that I, I love, you know, big production. And now it's kind of finding a way to hopefully connect the dots to make it go further. And would you like, and, and this would be with an orchestra as well, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one thing I've said, like, I, I, w- I need to tour with live musicians and I know immediately the commercial thought is no, we need to go less so we can make more money. But, you know, that's one thing I've, I'm prepared to do is, you know, we'll find a way. I've got this vision of you touring with like keyboard, like fucking projection mapping, shit jumping out <laughs> of the keyboard all the time. With a big ass orchestra. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing like on some classical hip-hop drum or something you know what i mean like uh, something like that man yeah that's dope and, and also i wanted to talk to you so obviously you're you're writing your music you're, you're you're composing your own music and you're also performing it but do you have an interest in sort of just composing music um and not performing so i would imagine scoring like movie scoring or TV soundtracks or things of that nature. Is that something that you're interested in? Not really. You know, a few opportunities like that have come up. You know, I got sent my first script quite recently. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the truth is I want to just do my albums. I want to <laughs> kind of get a few albums. I'm just finishing my second album. You know, mm-hmm. I want to get a few albums in, get, get this music out. And then in an ideal world, my music will get used in various things, TV and film and just reworks of, music I've already released. Sure, um, sure. Rather than taking on to score a whole movie or, you know, a TV project, I think maybe part of that is because I love being on stage. And right, while right. I've got the passion and the hunger to be performing, that's kind of, I want to write the music and get out there and put on these, these shows. Right, amazing. So you see yourself as an artist performer, not so much just somebody that's, Imposing music for hire or this and that, whatever. That's 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 fantastic, man. That 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 that's, that's great. Yeah. So I um I gotta admit I haven't come across too many session players as such, or particularly in the pop world anyway, that have that much of a connection to classical music as such. So um, if you were to recommend um three composers for people to listen to or to go and check out now on their Spotify, who would they be? I would say one composer that definitely helped me kind of with what I'm doing is a guy called Ludovico Einaudi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you've heard his music because his music is everywhere. It's on adverts and everything. And I think he's like a, a sort of a, a crossover artist, if you like, because it's not deep, deep classical, classical. Mm-hmm. It's more, it's very accessible classical mm-hmm. so even if you've never really listened to classical music i think you'll enjoy Einaudi stuff mm-hmm. um and then i would say rachmaninoff i think mm-hmm. it's, it is classical classical but i don't it's it's so popular because it's just so melodic and lush and full and is yeah dramatic i think that's a good start starting place Fantastic. and I would probably, I would, for me, I love a pianist called Lang Lang. Okay. Um, I know he's a bit polarizing. Some people think he's too expressive, but but I, I love the way, it's like, um, imagine they're pop singers today. Mm-hmm. If you hear a lot of pop singers, it's quite hard to actually distinguish whose voice it is. It, it sound, a lot of them sound very similar. Indeed, 
Indeed. And but then you hear someone else's voice, and it just stands out. Immediately, you know that voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I love when musicians can do that. When they're playing, you know, ten people play the same piece of music, but you, one guy stands out. He just phrases stuff differently, just expresses it differently, and I like the way he plays classical. So. Oh, amazing! Those are some great recommendations, man. I should. I'm gonna check all that out myself. Yeah. <laughs> myself. So listen, tell me a little bit about what are you working on right now? So album two is being done right now. Again, I'm mixing it all myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more difficult now because my standard's higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I think the first time around, everything was, wow, it sounds cool. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> now, <wow>. yeah. <laughs> it's taking a bit longer mm-hmm. uh, really proud of how it's sounding there's some really good good stuff coming out and um it, it's this lockdown has been amazing for me for that because with my schedule before i was i've been doing over 100 gigs a year for the last three years wow so i'm out every couple of days right 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 so, and that, and even when I come back, say I spend an afternoon working on the music, then you're out the next day, you're in a different mindset, you're in a different flow, and you get back, you do a little bit more, and it is just, I never had a block of time to really go deep into the music. Sure, sure. So for me, lockdown has been just what I needed to get into the actual music. So it's, um, it's close now. Fantastic, fantastic. And have you got a name yet? No, no name yet. Still waiting on that to <laughs> arrive in my mind. <laughs> Uno, because he had zero, one. Yeah, so someone said call it one. Yeah, and do like an Adele and two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that corny? Okay, sorry. I'm sorry. I'll take, I'll take it back. <laughs> I want for you to have that dream. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to wait on that dream. <laughs> yeah, that's what's up. That's what's up. Man, listen, it has been absolutely fantastic talking to you man um it's just yeah it's so many things um that you've said i think i really resonate with um there's so many things that you've said that i didn't know so it's been great like talking to you and find out more about you and i think there's so many things you've said that'll be of interest to lots of different people so um where can people kind of find you if they want to kind of plug into what you're doing and getting you know get involved in this next next album that's coming out yeah, I mean, the, the place I'm most active is Instagram, for sure. So mm-hmm. that's just Okiem. So O-K-I-E-M, mm-hmm. official, mm-hmm. Uh, on Instagram, Facebook. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I would actually recommend because, you know, I try and be as interactive as possible with people, and that's the place to have a chat or just catch up and, and, and find out what's going on. Absolutely, absolutely. Listen, Maestro, Oak Boogie, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you so much for coming on, and I'm all the best with everything you're doing in the future, all right? Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Hope you enjoyed both of those episodes. Check us out on Instagram. Like, share, comment follow subscribe all that good stuff feel free to give us your feedback we love to hear from everybody 
in the next episode. Let's just say you get three for one. We welcome the Hot City Horns, one of the UK's premier horn sections. They've played with Ollie Murs, Jess Glenn, and most recently, Sir Paul McCartney. Look out for it.